Let's go to John chapter 17 now, and we're going to continue our journey, our Bible study in John chapter 17, and we'll begin our reading with verse 17. I encourage you to have a Bible study when you're doing a Bible study, and uh, make sure it's readable, read through it beforehand, get familiar with where, where the pages are, uh, and make sure that they have a Bible and that you guys could read through it together. John chapter 17, verse 17 Here's an interesting portion of scripture. In fact, almost the entire chapter, uh, it really is, uh, besides the first half of verse 1, is Jesus praying. You know why Jesus was praying? Because he was a man just like you and I. And he prayed. He struggled with the flesh as well, but he prayed, submitting himself as a person, as a man. And he prayed. And let's listen in on a part of his prayer. Verse 17 it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. Who do you think he's talking about? His disciples, right? He's praying for his disciples. I'm not just praying for these alone. But I'm also praying for those which will believe on me, how? Through their word. All right? So he's praying not only for his disciples who would be known as the apostles, but he's praying for those who would believe on him through the word of the apostles. Guess what? That means he prayed for us. Because that's how we got to believe, is through their words. Now, what are these words? In Jesus' prayer for his disciples just before his crucifixion, he said God's word is what? truth. And I don't know if there was a time that has been more important for us to firmly and confidently state that. We live in a world of ever-changing truth. It's like nobody knows what truth is anymore, and everyone has their own truth. But listen, it doesn't matter what laws are made or change. It doesn't matter what is fashionable or trendy. God's word is true through all the ages of time. And so he also prayed for us and for those who would believe on him through the apostles' word. So the next portion of the Bible study is we're, we're going to find out what the apostles' message was to be. So we're going to read what Jesus told them to preach or proclaim. The setting of the following Great Commission scripture is found in Luke chapter 24, verse 45 through 49. And it is just after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and just before he ascended into heaven out of their sight. This is what is said in scripture. Luke 24, verse 45, it's right there on our page for us. It says, then opened he their understanding. Jesus opened their understanding. And what I encourage you to do is let this be a part of your daily prayer. Let this especially be a part of your prayer before you begin to read the word. Lord, open my understanding that I might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, or this is why it was written, this is why Christ suffered and rose from the dead the third day. This is why. So that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. Look at there's the emphasis on the name, right? In his name among all nations. And it will begin in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, and you might put under the word tarry, wait. That's what Terry means. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. 
And so we're going to answer these next two questions in the, in, the, in the second half of this Bible study, and it's this. Did the apostles preach the message Jesus commanded them to proclaim, and how was the promise of the Father fulfilled? And so let us continue our journey into the Word of God by seeing what was preached and what happened at Jerusalem. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading with verse 3. All right, so keep in mind what, we, what we've just done is we've turned the page, we've gone into the book of Acts, and know this, that this is after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, and he had risen again. And it says in verse 3, it's speaking of Jesus, to whom also he, Jesus, showed himself alive after his passion. Now, I know that when it says his passion, it's, it's talking about what we refer to, the passion of the Christ, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, especially the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But look at the way that, that, that Luke writes it, the book of Acts. He says, after his passion by many, he showed himself alive after his passion. I believe that it's also his passion to show himself alive. And he did this through many infallible proofs, which means they're undeniable. You, you, can't, you can't deny these things. They're they're infallible proofs being seen of them for 40 days. Did you know that? That after Jesus rose from the dead, he showed himself alive to people for 40 days. Over a month, he's appearing to people alive, raised from the dead. And while he's with them, do you think he's wasting words? No. These 40 days are critical. These are the last 40 days he will be seen on earth until his second coming. And so what's he talking about? He's speaking of things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. Where did we hear that phrase before? Oh, yeah. In John chapter 3. He said, if you want to see or enter the kingdom of God. Here, we know that after Jesus rose from the dead and was showing himself alive, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, his disciples, Jesus is with his disciples, he commands his disciples that they should not depart from Jerusalem. You see that word command? That's a pretty strong word. That means he means business. Stay in Jerusalem. Well, until when? He's, he said, you've got to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he. So he's about to explain what the promise of the Father is. For the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He explains it for us. So as we enter, here's your fill in the blank. As we enter the book of Acts, we discover almost immediately that the promise of the Father is the baptism of the what? The Holy Ghost. You could put down Holy Spirit, Ghost, and Spirit. They're actually the same Greek word, but sometimes in our King James Bible, it will, it will translate it as ghost or spirit. But it's the same thing. It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So let's see what happens as they go, they wait. They obey his command. So Jesus has received up out of their sight. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. This is going to get really exciting. Verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish festival, was fully come, it had fully arrived, they were all with one accord in one place. Who's they? Well, if you want to know exactly who they is, you can look at verse 15 
uh, yeah, verse 15, really it goes up to verse 13 of chapter 1, chapter uh, 1, verse 13, 14, and 15. It says it was the disciples, it was uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, it was his brethren. He had some half-brothers, sisters, and in those days Peter stood up and said the number was about 120. It was a rough estimate. There was about 120 that were gathered together, and they were all in one place, in one accord on the day of Pentecost. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Could you imagine? Picture yourself being in that room. There's this sound, like, a, like this loud, strong wind filling the room, filled the house where they were sitting. What else? Verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Now that's, I'm not sure if you've ever seen that before, but you know, I wanted to know what that exactly meant. What that means is there was like burst of flames or energy that was in the air. There was literally, it was like the, the air was charged with electricity. And there's this sound filling the room. Are you getting excited? I mean, could you imagine being there? And this sound and the, you could see this power that's visible in the room. Now, what happens next? Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is what they were waiting for, remember? Go wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. Now, what happened? Now, there were some signs before they were filled, but were there any signs after they were filled? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of them were filled with the Holy Ghost? All right, that's a good word to circle or underline or highlight. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, gave them utterance, which means the ability to speak. Let me ask you a question. How many were filled with the Holy Ghost? All. Now, how many began to speak with other tongues? Does it put a difference? It puts no difference, right? They all were filled and they all began to speak. So let's fill in our blank and then, and then we're going to read on. It says, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem along with many others, were joyously filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other what? Tongues, which means languages. They spoke words and sentences that they did not understand by the Spirit giving them the ability to speak or the inspiration to speak. But let's not stop there. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. So remember, this is this, this big Jewish festival where people would, would, would travel from far to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival of Pentecost. And they were there. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. They came from everywhere. Now when this was noised abroad, what is this? When this was noised abroad, what is this? This is the people that were filled with the Spirit. This this infilling of the Holy Ghost that happened to the 120. When this was talked about, when people started hearing about this, the multitude came together and were confounded. You might say confused. They, they, they were in wonder because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So they, they were seeing people that were from this region speaking languages from a foreign place where they had traveled from. All right? And so they were confounded, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They're all from Galilee. How are they speaking these languages that we know? They don't, they've never learned these languages. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, where we're from? And then it goes on to list the different places that they were from. 
Really, it gives us, I believe, 17 different categories. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. And if you teach us Bible study enough, you'll be able to say all of those words just like that. <laughs> we do hear them speak what are they saying? Is it gibberish? Are they just babbling? What are they saying? We do hear them speak in our languages or our tongues the wonderful works of God. So the, the people that came from afar heard these people from here speaking languages from there. And when they understood what they were saying, and they were talking about how great God is, the wonderful works of God. This is awesome. They were all amazed when they saw this. They were in doubt saying, what does this mean? What's going on here? Now, other people were there, and they were mocking, saying, ah, you know, these people are drunk. These people are full of new wine. But Peter, do you, do you know about Peter? He's, he's, he's that guy that was a fisherman that Jesus called. What else do you know about Peter? Have you ever learned about Peter? What did Jesus say he would do right, right before he was going to be betrayed and crucified? He would deny him three times. That's the same guy. Let's see what Peter does here. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. It doesn't sound like he is bashful at this time. He may have been denying Jesus just, just a, a few weeks earlier or seven weeks earlier, but here we see that he is lifting up his voice, and he says, these are not drunk like you think. He's not denying that they're not under the influence. They're under the influence. They're just not under the influence of the stuff you think they're under the influence. He says, seeing it is about the third hour of the day. That's, that's about 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, verse 16, this is really important, but this is that. If you have a pen or a highlighter, underline that. This is that. So what is this? What is this? This is the 120, right? Filled with the Spirit, speaking languages that they did not learn, right? What is that? Well, we're about to discover what that is. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That is that. <laughs> this, these speaking in tongues, is that. What's that? God will pour out his spirit. Essentially what Peter is saying is, these people that you see is what it looks like when God pours out his spirit. All right, let's continue in our packet. The amazed onlookers from many nations who heard them speaking with tongues said, What means this, or what meaneth this? Then Peter explained the promised coming of the Spirit went on to preach Christ and the original apostolic plan of salvation. That word apostolic means apostle-like, or it came from the apostles. Peter was one of the apostles. So he goes on to preach, and we're going to pick up in verse 36. So Peter is continuing to preach Jesus. He's preaching Jesus as Christ, as Lord. Let's see what he says in verse 36. 
it says, therefore, this is Peter still speaking, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus who you crucified. Uh-oh. He's pointing the finger right at his audience. He says, you crucified him. Who is him? Jesus. He's both Lord and Christ. Wow. And when they heard this, they were pricked or they were cut to their heart and said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Like we realized we made a major mistake. We're sinners. What do we do about it? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You see, when the people who heard Peter's words believed that Jesus Christ was their Lord, their Savior, they were sorry for their sins, they asked Peter and the apostles what they should do. Peter replied by preaching the message Jesus commanded them to preach in Luke 24, 45 through 49. And in light of this, consider the three elements of the plan of salvation Peter preached to them. He told them to repent, he told them that remission of sins is available through baptism in Jesus' name and that receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is a promise for them. Notice also this, that Acts 2.38, what Peter tells them is the answer to their situation. Notice that it's the fulfillment of the two new birth requirements Jesus mentioned in John 3.5. Remember? Water, spirit. Water birth equals baptism in the name of Jesus. Spirit birth equals the infilling of the Holy Ghost. What we're going to do now is we're going to journey deeper into the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to learn about when Philip, uh, one of the disciples, one of the, the, the ministers uh, in Acts, he's preaching to the Samaritans. Now, before we read Acts chapter 8, verse 5, I want you to think about this. Some people say that when they experience joy or when they believe in Jesus or even when they were baptized, that they were automatically filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. But let's find out what the Bible says. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, what does the Bible say? Now, mind you, the context here is, is, is the disciples had to spread out. They went everywhere preaching because there was persecution that was coming down upon the church, but it didn't stop the church. In verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached what? Preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Sounds like a successful revival so far. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies or that were lame were healed. Verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. And so instead of filling in blank, I do want to ask you a question, and it's just a yes or no answer. According to these scriptures we just read, did they have great joy? These people that Philip was preaching to, did they have great joy? Yes. Verse 12, it says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, there it is, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, there's the emphasis on the name again, they were baptized, both men and women. Next question is, did they believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Verse 14. When, now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, 
who when they were come down to Samaria, prayed for these new believers that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Why did they go and pray for them? They had great joy. They were baptized. They believed. It says, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's answer this next question. Were they baptized in the name of Jesus? Yes. But did they receive the Holy Ghost as a separate and a distinct experience? Look at verse 17. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So it was a separate experience from the time that they believed, the time that they were baptized, or even the moment that they experienced great joy. So let's, let's just come to this conclusion. According to this, believing, baptism, and even great joy, these are not sure indicators that one has received the Holy Ghost. Why else would Peter and John journey, it's about a two-day journey, travel down to Samaria to pray for these, that they might receive the Holy Ghost? Furthermore, think about this. If the Holy Ghost, given like this, is not necessary, why would they have gone to this great length of having Peter and John? Because it's the expected half of the new birth required to enter the kingdom of God. They were baptized, great, but have they received the Holy Ghost yet? They haven't yet. And you know what? <laughs> Man, they haven't received the Holy Ghost yet. Let's, let's call in some prayer partners to come and, and join us we, because they need to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm glad they believed. I'm glad they were baptized. I'm glad there's miracles. But let's make sure that these people have both of those requirements of being born again, water and the Spirit. So did they receive the Holy Ghost as a separate and distinct experience? Yes. So now let's go to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at another example. And this is Peter, the apostle, preaching to the Gentiles. Now before we begin reading, I want you to consider this. Some people, they'll tell you, listen, I'm religious. You know, so it's kind of like a, you know, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty religious person, and that's enough. Or some people even say that to receive the Spirit, and speak in tongues, well, that's just for the day of Pentecost. So that's just for way back, you know, in those days. Now, if the Bible says this, it's true. But what if the Bible shows us through Cornelius' experience that it's not true? Well, then we probably should say it's not true. Let's look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Okay? I don't think this was a musical band. Centurion means he was a soldier, he was a captain, he was over a band of soldiers that were predominantly Italian or from Italy. But what else can we learn about Cornelius? Verse 2, he was a devout man, which means he was religious. He was one that feared God with his whole house. He even gave much alms to the, the people, which is charity, and he prayed to God always. So let's answer this question. Was Cornelius a religious man? Yes. Verse 5, now, verse 3 and 4, you could read it if you'd like. It says that he saw in a vision, he saw an angel come to him, and an angel addressed him, said, listen, God has heard your prayers. He has seen your charity. It's come up before the Lord. Verse 5, this is what the angel is going to tell him. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. God sends an angel to Cornelius' house and says, you've got to go find 
this man named Peter, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. So here's the next question, is did God have more for him to do? Why else would he send an angel? Why else would he tell him to go find Peter? Which took three days, by the way, for his servants to go to where Joppa was, or go to the city of Joppa and find Peter. Verse 44, we're going to skip ahead of the story. This is a fantastic story. I highly encourage you to read it sometime, this whole chapter. But we're going to skip ahead to verse 44 because it was a whole deal. You know, God didn't only send an angel and speak to Cornelius, but he also visits Peter and convinces him, hey, you need to go with these guys. They're looking for you, and you're going to go to this, this Gentile's house. This is a big deal because up to this point, no non-Jewish people had been born again yet in these scriptures. And so he sets it up. God brings them together. And Peter, he comes, and he's a little apprehensive, but he's like, okay, I, you know, God sent me here, and let's do this. And he starts preaching to them. He starts telling them what, you know, what's happening. And let's pick it up in verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. That means the believing Jews that came with Peter, these Jewish Christians that, that were born again already, they were astonished, as many as came with Peter. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So let's answer the next question. Did they receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues after the day of Pentecost? Here's some simple math for you. What is 10 minus 2? 8. <laughs> I was hoping that there was going to be a louder, quick response there, but don't worry. It's not a math test when you get to heaven. So That's approximately how many years passed between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Approximately, it had been eight years from the day of Pentecost, and here we find that people are receiving the Holy Ghost, and they're speaking with other tongues. Let's look at what verse 47 says. Can any man, then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? So he's looking at his Christian comrades. He says, hey guys, uh, God gave them the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, like, what are we going to do now? Like, does anyone object to them being baptized now? Crickets? Nothing? Okay. Well, what's he tell them? Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized. How? In the name of the Lord. Then prayed they he, uh, that, they would, that Peter would stay with them for a few more days. What do we learn here? First of all, they received the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. But was that good enough? No, they still needed the other part of the born-again experience. They had to be baptized. That's why it says G that Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So did they still have to be baptized in Jesus' name? Yes. All right, let's go on to Acts chapter 19 as we bring this Bible study to a conclusion. Acts chapter 19, we'll begin our reading with verse 1. And as we turn there, I want you to think about this. Many people who are believers They've never heard this stuff. True or false? True. A lot of people have never even heard this. In fact, some of you that have been baptized or received the Holy Ghost up, up until a certain point, you know, maybe you went to church all your life, you never heard about this. Some people say it's not necessary to be baptized or to be rebaptized. 
Now, if you were baptized by John the Baptist, wouldn't you think that, you know, that's good. You wouldn't have to be re-baptized, right? Now, others say it doesn't matter what's spoken over you when you are baptized because it's just a symbol of your faith, right? Now, if the Bible indicates it doesn't matter, hey, I'll concede it doesn't matter. But what if the Bible shows us it does matter? Acts chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible introduces as it come to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, that's a city, and finds certain disciples. What's that mean? They're believers. He finds some believers, and he says to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, how many times have you started off a conversation with that, with that you know? You, you, you meet your coworker for the first time at lunch break, and they say, hey, I'm a Christian too. And you're like, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That's kind of what happens here. Paul says, hey, let's just cut to the chase. This is important stuff. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So they were believers, but had they heard of or received the Holy Ghost? Answer is no. Verse 3. So what, what does Paul do now? And he said unto them, well, how were you baptized? Unto what then were you baptized? They said, well, we were baptized by John the Baptist. We were baptized in accord with John's baptism. Then said Paul, John, hey, that's great. John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That's on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, what did they do? They were re-baptized, or they were baptized how? In the name of the Lord Jesus. So did those who were baptized by John the Baptist have to be re-baptized in Jesus' name? Yes. Verse 6. They were baptized, got the water part. Come on, you got to get the other wing on the plane, right? Water and spirit. Verse 6. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And what happened? They spake with tongues and prophesied. The, the total number was about 12. Now, was receiving the Holy Ghost accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues? Yes. So what we found is that the apostles preached the following salvation message. Life of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Repentance toward God and belief in Jesus Christ as Savior. But you can't stop there. They also preach that we must be baptized by, in water by immersion in Jesus' name and that we should expect to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and it will be accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. And so to close this, we're going to read what the apostles had to say about the message of salvation they proclaimed in the book of Acts. We can do this by reading the epistles or letters they wrote to their converts. And so as we read the epistles, we'll notice how strongly the apostles felt about the gospel or good news of salvation. This is not because they were trying to be judgmental. They knew the word Jesus had given them to proclaim was going to judge all men. Remember, we're going to be judged by the word. So what did Peter say? He said, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, being born again by the word of God, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You've purified your souls. How? By obeying the word of God. Have you ever had purified water? I remember back in the day, my parents got a water filter that hooked up to the faucet. The idea is what? That the water that goes into the filter comes out cleaner on the other side of the filter. It's purified. Well, that's what this book is. When you obey what this book says, your life will be purified. Obedience to God's word purifies your souls. Now, Peter asked a question in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. What? What's going to happen to those who do not obey the gospel? If people read this and they're like, ah, that's good, but it's not for me. What's going to happen to them? 
Paul. The Apostle Paul gave the answer in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be punished. How? With everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we find it's eternally important to obey the gospel. Now, what did Paul say? In Galatians 1, 7 through 9, but there be some that trouble you, and they would pervert, or that means they would warp. They would try to change the gospel of Christ. But he says, though we, he's, he's talking about himself, if I came to you, or if an angel from heaven came to you and preached something different than what you have already received that we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You see, because there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. Now what did James say? In James 1, 21 through 24, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls and be ye doers of the word. Don't just be a hearer, someone that listens because you're just gonna deceive your own self. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man that beholds his natural face in a glass or a mirror. He beholds himself, he goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Could you imagine how silly it would be if you look in the mirror in the morning and you got, you know, last night's midnight snack stuck in between your two front teeth. You saw it and you walked away and didn't do anything about it. And you wondered why people gave you strange looks all day. I mean, the mirror showed you what to do. It showed you what was wrong. Well, this book is like a mirror. You look into it, it will show you what you need to do. But don't just read it and walk away and act like you didn't see it. What are we going to do with what we've just seen? That's what we've got to consider. You see that it's important to have faith. It's important to repent. We see that we've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And it's so our sins could be washed away. And we should expect to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the first evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost will be speaking in other tongues as God's Spirit gives you the evidence. Have you had this experience? Are you willing to seek God so that you could have this experience? I want, I want to show something uh, here uh, as we close. And there's a group picture, Brother Kessler, if you're able to help me. If you're able to put that up, there's a group picture. The people that you see in this picture are members and the pastor of Greater House of Prayer Church. A few months ago, the first lady of this church decided to visit the United Pentecostal Church in Newport News, Virginia for two weeks out on the East Coast. But those two weeks turned into two months. And while attending services, she expressed being overcome with love and the presence of God from ushers to greeters to the worship and ultimately from the preached word. As Pastor Jared Arango began to preach, she knew two things. She found a church that had power and her church back home needed to experience this power. She immediately called her husband, who was the pastor, who also felt from God that their church needed to experience the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Surprisingly, God had already guided them and uh, guided him and spoke, go to the east to experience the move of God their church needed. They then started planning on how they would bring their church from Chicago, Illinois, 
to the Pentecostal church in Newport News, Virginia. Fast forward to the present, Pastor and First Lady Leverett and their church drove all the way from Chicago with one goal, so that their whole church would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Needless to say, after Pastor Arango spoke on how to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost, God moved, and they report that 41 members from that church were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues in just one single service. That is awesome. You could flip through that. There's just a couple pictures that show them, and uh, this was the service where these church members were receiving the Holy Ghost. Go to the next picture. And the next picture is this, this is the pastor and first lady from Chicago, Illinois, that brought their whole church in a big charter bus so that they could go and experience this great gift. Listen, God is moving. God is moving in this last day. I want to be a part of it. I believe that we could experience a revival here in the Quad Cities, very similar, where it's not just about people that we could get in this building, but I believe that we could see whole churches in the Quad Cities baptized and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. Why don't, you, why don't you pray that with me right now? Father, we love you and we thank you for this beautiful revelation. We thank you, Lord, for showing us through your word how we ought to be saved according to the plan of salvation you laid out in scripture, gave to the apostles and gave through the apostles. I pray that you would help us, oh Lord, to share this with others, whether it's in a Bible study or in a church service or Lord, even at, at work in the lunchroom. Lord, I pray that you would help us, oh Lord, to be bold in our faith and share this marvelous light that we've been so graciously gifted. We ask this in Jesus' name. We give you all thanks and praise and glory and honor. And everyone say amen.